0: Fate would like to thank Windsor and & Newton and Liquitex for being this year's platinum-level conference sponsors. If you need an art supply, they have it covered. You can find out more at windsornewton.com, liquitex.com, or better yet, drop by their booth at the conference. Welcome to Positive Space, Conversations and Art Foundations, a production of Foundations in Art, Theory and Education, also known as FATE. Positive Space is a podcast providing opportunities for those passionate about art foundations to discuss and promote excellence in the development and teaching of college-level foundations in art studio and art history classes.
1: Hello, this is Valerie Powell. Welcome to Positive Space. Today I have a really exciting guest, our keynote speaker from the FATE 2017 conference, Enrique Martinez Salaya. Welcome to the show.
2: It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Yeah, this is wonderful, and this is actually our very first podcast interview in person. This feels really dramatic. We're on the very top of the hotel with exciting carpeting that we've commented on, and all the the great view of Kansas City. So this is this is really really wonderful. Definitely wanted to to touch base with you and kind of get. To know a little bit more about sort of how you became an artist, can you kind of tell us how 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 did that happen for you? Because I know you have a background in physics and all kinds of of things, and so what what made you want to become an artist?
2: So I started. I was an apprentice for a painter when I was a kid. I I started drawing when I was very young, but I Uh started as as an apprentice for a painter, doing pastels and oils and working with him. When I went to college, I decided that I was going to do something. I mean, I also like math and physics and so on. Mm-hmm. So that's, I went to college to, to be a physics major. And then I went to grad school to do a doctorate. But while mm-hmm. I was doing, my doctorate in physics, I was painting the whole time.
3: Oh, wow.
2: Yeah, so that's, that's how, um, how everything happened. But, uh, but then, you know, the big transition came when I decided that I wanted to be an artist and mm-hmm. not a physicist.
1: Wow. So how how did that happen? Were your parents concerned? I mean, was it something you had to sort of explain to them in terms of it being a a safe option as a (laughs) career?
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, Well, it was a terrible actual crisis. (laughs) Um, So when I went to a lighthouse called Pigeon Point and Mm -hmm. sequestered myself for five days to decide whether to be an artist or a physicist. When I went into the lighthouse, I thought I was going to come out thinking I was going to be a physicist. Really? And, and I came out thinking I was going to be an artist. Really? So and then, of course, trying to explain it to my advisors, to mm-hmm. my friends, to my family. Mm-hmm. My family was very upset.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. they're not upset anymore. Not anymore. It took, it took
2: a little while for, for <laughs> sure, it to change. And sure. I understood it, you know, I understood where yeah. they were coming from.
1: Yeah, because it seems like science and math seems like a safe, you know, you're going to sure. have a job, you're going to be, you know, doing all right. Um, but so, what what happened in the lighthouse to make you really convinced that you wanted to be an artist? So I think... got up
2: in the morning and I started to write
1: mm-hmm. my
2: thoughts about why you know the two sides, physics and art, and what they meant to me, and what I felt what my life was going to be about. Hmm. And in the process of writing and writing and writing, and which, mm-hmm. a notebook which I kept, by the way, oh. um, I, it, it became clear that this is what I always felt. Um, that helped me understand the world better.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And it was time to, to really do it as a career, uh, as a life, really, mm-hmm. more than as a career.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then it, it was a matter of how you do that. I didn't know how to do that, but I knew that's what I wanted to do.
1: Yeah, so then what happened? You came out of the lighthouse, and then you talked to your family, talked to your friends, and then did you get a gallery? Did you, how did you go about pursuing that that was such fervor?
2: Well, I was doing an MFA and a doctorate at the same time, which was wow. which was uh, a strange thing. So, so how, I,
1: how did you have time to go to a lighthouse with <laughs> with all of that going on? It seems like well, that'd be pretty busy.
2: <laughs> it was, it was. So then I dropped out of both, and then oh. I went. Um, I finished my doctoral exams. I was working on my thesis, mm-hmm. and then I went back. I f- uh, worked as a scientist for a while, mm-hmm. and then went back and finished my MFA, oh. and that sort of had the transition happen. I went to Europe for a while. And mm-hmm. It was. A very messy period it sounds more interesting in retrospect <laughs> but but at the moment it felt like i was squandering everything yeah. that i have worked hard yeah. for
1: yeah that's scary that's it really scary. really scary absolutely yeah. and so when you were getting your phd and you got your phd i never finished it. you never it. finished yeah. Yeah. it um what was your focus or what was your area of sort of
2: quantum electronics which is laser yeah. physics
1: Oh wow! Right. And do you feel like that's something that has informed the kind of work that you're making, or do you feel like that's something that you've just sort of left behind in terms of that mode of thinking and that sort of way of problem solving?
2: No, it have it have influenced a great mm-hmm. deal of my thinking. My interest in philosophy comes partly from physics. Yeah, my idea that a studio is a laboratory of sorts
3: mm-hmm. comes from physics, mm-hmm.
2: and um, and also the rigor of a certain sort of systematic way of approaching the projects. I think it owes a lot to physics. Physics, you know, is always working at the boundary of the unknown.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And Mm -hmm. that vision of, of taking of, of using what you know to get to the boundary of the they mm-hmm. mm-hmm. i still use very much as an artist so i'm very grateful for that training.
1: oh sure it seems like that would really inform your practice and and does inform it especially thinking about problem solving and, and trying things and being okay sort of in in the question and not necessarily having to get the right answer at a particular time
2: yeah i mean and i think i think physicists are quite good at at um, trying to be honest about the inquiry they're after rather than pushing their own agendas and so on. I think think they are willing to go to a place that maybe they were completely wrong about the initial idea Mm
3: -hmm. and
2: and do that systematically and seriously. And I think that's... I see my work as an inquiry as well. Mm. So I think a lot of that comes from that background. Although it also even more than the background, the reason I chose physics is because mm-hmm. that is the way I approach the world in general. So, oh, really? So both of them, physics and art, fit into something that was already sort of inherently my concern about things.
1: Mm-hmm. So then do you view those two things being more related than probably I would as a person that's not very familiar with science or math or reasoning and, and that sort of way? Because it seems like all those things feel related in terms of how you think about your, your practice.
2: Yeah, they're very related. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. I think that there's, there's so many similarities between arts and science mm-hmm. that people don't realize. I think in both cases, you're trying to sort out the world in some manner and you're trying to approach always something that you don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. And that
2: process is um, quite connected, really very connected. Is uh, there's something very creative also in both disciplines. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: so. Definitely. Well, and I, you know, it seems like when you, when you talked about going to the Lighthouse and, and writing that down, you know, it seems like in your work you think about language and you think about poetry. And, you know, those kinds of approaches, at least for me, connect in, in your work. And it's just curious that it all started sort of in that Lighthouse and with, with that, that writing. Is that something that you go back to and, and reread or have you looked at it again?
2: Um, I have looked at it a few times, yeah. and it's always very shocking for me oh, to really? read it. Because, you know, <laughs> for one, it's such a raw moment. Mm-hmm. And it's strange to see yourself as a younger person in mm-hmm. a very exposed and raw sure, moment. Sure. So it, it, I don't go to it too often because it's, it's, it's actually quite difficult mm. to, to be in that space. But literature was always a part of my life, so writing mm. was always a part of it. So it was very natural to sit down and write for mm-hmm. five days Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you can sense the confusion in that in writing and, and the sort of all the people that I was trying to to keep happy. And so all the
1: things you're juggling, you yeah, know, that we of often course, do yeah. and sort of what's going to make someone else happy or what's going to make yourself happy. Those, those are important things. And it's curious that, that you mentioned questioning because it definitely seems like you enjoy that place where there's options and maybe there's tension or there's mystery or... You know, is is that something that you seek out in terms of how you look at the world? Do you do you look at the world with with questions or with curiosity?
2: I do. I mean, when I since I was a little kid, I always felt like th- that the world was was more complicated than I could understand. It was mm-hmm. always out of reach, mm-hmm. and I looked around me, and it seems like everybody else had figured it out, but oh, I, yeah. I had not. <laughs> so I looked to art and to science and to philosophy to try to mm-hmm. make sense of the world. So. Mm-hmm. I think that has remained for me. I still Mm -hmm. look at experience and I always feel like I'm missing the most critical part of what's happening. Mm -hmm. So,
1: Yeah, well, and does does that feel unsettling or does that feel uncomfortable? I mean,
2: there's a discomfort with it. I mean, I think ultimately art comes in the space for me to try to get more comfortable Mm -hmm. with experience, more comfortable with what's going on.
3: Mm -hmm. It thinks
2: that there's such... I think that there's such fullness to experience that just being present doesn't seem to be enough.
3: Sure. Um,
2: so, so even though I'm always trying to be present, I always need art and literature and these other ways to approach to get a more full sense of what mm. is really at play and what is really happening.
1: Very cool. Well, and so as you're making work, do you find that you are? reading a book, and that really informs your particular piece that you're working on or that you listen to music when you're in the studio, or do you take a break and do some writing? Is, is that happening, or are you just sort of in your headphones and, like, making stuff? What does that look like in terms of your artistic habit?
2: So I work in two very large rooms mm-hmm. um, and many paintings at once, mm-hmm. and what I do is I move from one to the other and I go back to writings. Uh, the writing is usually how they... The, the work begins always with writing, and mm. then it goes back to writing to the process, and goes back and forth between the visual works mm-hmm. and the writings. So, I mean, music and all those things are are also part of it, but mm-hmm. n- none of those writings are influential in terms of content. I don't oh. I don't ma- I don't write to create content for the work, okay, but rather to figure out. An ethical place in which I'm standing, to bear to understand where I'm standing in relation to the work. That's right, right, to clarify. Oh
1: interesting. So it just sort of helps you get into the right headspace yeah. for making it's not like you're creating a narrative that, that someone's then gonna unpack in a specific way. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Very yeah. curious. And so you, you mentioned you work on several pieces at once. Do you find that you get stuck on a piece or how do you navigate that? Because I know, you know, we've been going to sessions all day where they've been talking about failure and problem solving and sort of how to help our students with those kinds of questions on ourself and our own practice. I'm just curious, like, do you have writer's block? Do you have, do you ever just wake up and think, I don't have any ideas right now? I I don't know what to do with this painting now. I mean, it,
2: those things happen, but I always go to the studio no matter what, even mm. if to sweep the floors. I mean, I think it's important to be present.
3: Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I work
2: on many paintings at once because they're usually mon- very big, big-scale works mm-hmm. that requires layers and layers and layers. Sure. So, and I have, I have designed a studio over the years that supports those kinds of problems that you mm-hmm. might describe as some sort of block. Sure. So, so I move from sculpture to paintings to drawings to watercolors. They're in different rooms in the studio. Mm-hmm. I have a large space. Um, and writing. So there's always something to do. Mm-hmm.
3: And mm-hmm.
2: I I don't think I ever had... There had never been a moment in which I come to a studio and there's nothing for me to do. Right. You can so, always
1: clean or organize or, yeah. or, you know, yeah. Yeah, there's yeah.
2: something to do. I'm, I'm there. And um, I, there are some people that work in my studio and and if nothing else, I can tell them to do something
1: (laughs) (laughs) you can have a conversation or something like that yeah sure well and then how do you know when a piece is finished when it's done is is there a certain like emotion that happens for you is it something that you can picture it and as soon as it looks like the way it's supposed to look then you're like i'm done with the piece
2: it's always difficult because you know i paint over paintings many times Mm -hmm. so sometimes a painting might take two years that i repaint and repaint right so i think it's done when um when there is a resonance, when there's an autonomy, the work becomes autonomous for me. Mm
3: -hmm. And I can
2: sense it separated from me and resonant. And when Mm -hmm. that happens, then I know it's finished. And I know Mm -hmm. that sounds very vague, but in real life, I can, it's easier to recognize what that means than to talk about it. Of
1: course, there's a lot of things like that, right? I mean, a lot of things are hard to explain in words, right? So you're not, you don't keep track of like, i put 17 layers on this, or I put 14 on this one, or you're not aware of those kinds of, how many layers you have on a on a particular piece?
2: Sometimes they are. And my my assistant take document some of okay. the layers. I never yeah. wanted to photograph the layers before okay. when I was younger. Uh-huh. But now 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 I take pictures of them sometimes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you know an, an earlier version of a painting mm-hmm. is sometimes more beautiful, more interesting even,
1: sure. but not necessarily sure. truer. Oh, and yeah that's
2: what I'm after
1: well, and do you sketch everything out so you kind of know the direction it's going, or do you just sort of respond to the layers and then respond to the layers? yeah, I don't sketch anything out and mm-hmm. and I
2: don't make two versions of anything, so like oh. and and from exhibition to exhibition
3: mm-hmm.
2: I try to work on the holes, the deficits so what wasn't mm-hmm. working before that's what I start, so I'm trying to build. A career on the deficits as opposed mm. to the the successes of previous work. Oh, that's interesting. So, so there's n- every work starts completely new, and I, I'm always like a beginner with each one.
1: Yeah, so there's that sort of awkward sort of is this going to work out? What's going to happen? Which I think translates, you know, so it doesn't feel like it's predictable, you know.
2: Yeah. Necessarily. I mean, yeah, I mean, I I don't know what I wouldn't be able to understand what I would be what I'm doing if I was going to just. Mine the same area that I had mine before. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: I mean, when I was younger, at one time I was talking to Robert Mangold, mm-hmm. who told me that he does a little drawing, that he does a little painting, that he does a medium-sized painting of that one, and then he he enlarges that and make a third one. Yeah. And I and I told him it would be impossible for me to work like that. And sure. I understand. his process, I mean, depends on that. Yeah. But for yeah. me, it was very difficult mm. to to work like this.
1: Hmm. Wow. And you know. It, I'm I'm curious like because I know that you write and you have a book and and so it just seems like there must always be a lot going on in your mind. Do you do you find it hard to just have like a restful experience or do you do you find that you're constantly in this sort of creative mode?
2: You know, over the years I've developed some ability to be present in the mm-hmm. moment which which in some ways is a form of restfulness because mm-hmm. you are where you are. Sure. That being said, I mean it is it is my it is my nature to to be curious. I mean this conversation yeah. we're having is, is is immediately makes me think of something. Sure. And, and I, so there's very few things I do that I don't don't make me think that there's something I should you know go a little farther with. Right. So, uh, but you know it's also it has been also a practice of, mm-hmm. to try to just be where I am.
1: Yeah, and it's so. like a routine and it's a habit and it's something that you kind of have to build upon. Yeah, and and so does travel still play like a role in your creative process?
2: Directly in the sense that I work, all my work is responsive to the spaces that I'm tra- traveling to. Mm-hmm. and, I, and I, So if I'm going to create an exhibition for a particular institution or gallery in a certain mm-hmm. place, I'm working with that setting and that location in mind as I'm mm-hmm. working, and I want it responsive to that. So in that sense, travel is directly influential to my work. But I almost never travel
3: mm-hmm.
1: for
2: for fun. Sounds for like a fun. crazy thing to say.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but that's I, I, I understand that. Sure. I mean, I travel sure. so
2: much not for, I mean, for, for, for my work right. that then when I'm not doing a project, I just mm-hmm. want to be at home with my children.
1: Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. Definitely, yeah. I, I understand that. Well, and, you know, here at this conference, we've been talking a lot about beyond the core, what that means for art education, what that means for, for us as creative creative individuals, and, you know, I'm just curious, like, what, what, is, what does that theme sort of resonate to you, and what does that mean to you?
2: I mean, it's hard for me to really if I'm pinned down to ask mm-hmm. what what's really a core, yeah, because yeah. I, I find that my opinion about the core is changes every few years,
1: okay. based yeah.
2: on what I real, what I notice that one really needs as an artist uh-huh. but I am very much interested in this idea of the beyond, mm-hmm. the idea that one's practice is, is engaged much more broadly that people usually think in terms of mm-hmm. not only how it relate to the world as a whole beyond mm-hmm. the studio beyond
3: mm-hmm. beyond
2: individ- one's own work so so my the thoughts that come to mind when I think of beyond the core is that duality between first asking what the core is and then mm-hmm. understanding how the one positions this notion of the beyond
3: mm-hmm. how
2: far would you engage the world in that in that sense of of transcending this expectation of, of a core or basic sense of what art is.
1: Sure, absolutely. Well, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, you've got all of this movement and activity, you know, with, with writing and with art making and painting, et cetera. And are there certain projects that you struggle knowing sort of how to navigate those and thinking, is this is this more of a writing project that I want to explore, or is this more of a painting or a sculpture or what have you? How do you sort of decide how these ideas become a thing? If, if it should be in language or if it should be more visual?
2: You know, they're n- the, m- my ideas is never are never exist separate from the pro- from the process themselves. Mm-hmm. So, so there's mm-hmm. not an a priori idea. So when I have a certain feeling. Mm. that I'm trying to pursue and certain mm-hmm. preoccupations, they already manifest themselves in the work in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So and the and the the writings have certain quality and the paintings of the sculptures have mm-hmm. a different one. So it all almost always sort themselves out. So so I don't think I don't think ever I ever have been in a position of having to choose.
1: Yeah. Um yeah. So
2: what it is. Definitely. It's not a strategy, really,
1: right? And it's not like you're waking up and going, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be this person today. I'm gonna be that person." You know, it just sort of flows really freely and really naturally. It seems like, in in terms of that. Well, so Kansas City is a place you're familiar with, and what what does it feel like to to be here and you know be um you know part part of this conference and a, a part of this experience as as a keynote?
2: Well, I'm you know I'm very excited about it, mm-hmm. and I'm very honored to be here. Mm-hmm. I have. I have a great belief in what sort of the, the ideas that are happening in this conference are mm-hmm. about. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I really think that the future of art and the future of artists
3: mm-hmm. is in education mm-hmm. and in how we
2: teach artists. So I'm one of those people who really believes on the importance of what is being talked about in this conference. Yeah, and um, yeah. And I think that's a way to get past the cynicism and the... Superficiality that I think sometimes exists in the art world.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And is, is that something that you've sort of had to, to work through and sort of navigate in terms of how to be yourself in it in sort of sometimes a world that can be superficial?
2: Oh, of course. I mean, it's the day to day, still ongoing. You right. know, um, right. it's something that I think preparing younger artists and students mm-hmm. for. So, when we talk, for example, beyond the core what do, what are we preparing students for?
3: Mm-hmm. A
2: lot of the tools that they need is tools that are not obviously the you know mechanical tools or in terms of of skills, but sure. rather how do you contend with self doubt how do you right. endure the feeling of being a phony or mm-hmm. some of the things that come with it with artistic process that that are very different than sort of how do you render or how do you draw or,
1: right um, right
2: so and but they're as necessary and on occasions more necessary mm-hmm. which is other skills to survive what will happen once you try to be Definitely. in the world Definitely
1: absolutely because you can learn how to draw the human hand you can do that from a book but but how to have rigor and how to listen to yourself and give yourself permission you know it's hard and that that can often be be really challenging
2: Yeah I mean you can draw the human hand and the next question is is this good enough Yeah so so that question, is this good enough, right. is, can be very corrosive. So, mm-hmm. so to say, well, how, how good is good enough? And right. you see, so these questions are very subtle, elusive, mm-hmm. and, and part of them come with your training, but part sure. of them come... With how you decide to think of your training after you Absolutely. have been Absolutely.
1: And I think too, just like what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be successful? And um, what is the sex, you know, what what, what does that, that look like? And um, sure. how how do you measure that?
2: Exactly. How do you measure that? And yeah. I think and I think that those questions are as so fundamental to the to an artistic practice. Mm-hmm. Um, in my students over the years that I have had my many different levels. These questions are the hardest ones, you know, yeah. much more than I think the, the the general way that you address the painting, in particular. Even though those things, by the way, are we, important, are sure. very important, sure. and very often we don't have enough knowledge about them. That is true. But but I, but I think that we tend to get burned out or demoralized by mm-hmm. the softer things, sure. by, by questions like. Is this is good enough.
1: Yeah. And you can talk yourself out of a lot of things that way. And sure. you can, you know, live in fear and be afraid to try. And so how have you navigated that sort of minefield of, you know, being afraid to fail? How, how have you handled that in, in your own career?
2: Well, when I when I create a new studio, the first thing I do in the in the top of my, the wall I write keep your actions faithful and I think the idea that your mind mm. and your and your actions and what you say will be the same and I think that that alleviates a lot of fear mm-hmm. and I think it makes you be uh, authentic in your engagement authenticity is a way to dispel fear and when when things get difficult, I mm-hmm. turn to the role models I admire writers philosophers mm-hmm. artists whose Stands in the world that respect. And mm. that is more helpful to me than anything else. Mm-hmm. I, I think that no amount of slogans or pep talks is ever good enough for me. As, as I reading Pasternak mm-hmm. and then deciding, well, that's the path I want to be on. And, mm-hmm. and that keeps me going even when things are disappointing or where or, or I'm confused. Mm. Um, knowing what direction even mm-hmm. if it's really far away from me, how the right. direction I want to move is very helpful.
1: Wow. So you, you write on, on, on the wall?
2: Yeah.
1: Wow. And it's keep your actions... Faithful. Faithful. Wow. So you look at that every day when you're working on anything.
2: In anything. And, and all throughout my studio, there are little uh, booby traps, like little, <laughs> little, little <laughs> reminders. I come like uh-huh. in near my wash basin. I have Ferdinand Huddler with a little painting in the snow and things like that. Ah. And it's not really to, you know, because I think it's a cool picture. It's because I want to remember certain standards Hmm. and uh, live up to them.
1: Oh, that's that's really incredible. Well, is, you know, is is there any other advice that, that you would give maybe yourself when when you were in that lighthouse um, and you were struggling and traveling and and really grappling with your career decisions. I mean, I know a lot of us go through similar things. You know, is there any advice that you wish you would have had or if you could go back and talk to yourself in the lighthouse, is there anything that you would say?
2: I mean, yes. I mean, there are many, many things (laughs) I can think of, but I I think one one of the critical aspects is
1: Mm -hmm.
2: how... um, Everybody who decides to be an artist at some point or decides to be an art student mm-hmm. had certain certain aspirations, certain dreams and 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 I think that even though it sounds very cheesy and familiar, mm-hmm. I think that to make sure that you remember what those are. Mm-hmm. I have seen many graduate students, many friends over the years give up on what they what motivated them originally.
1: Oh yeah.
2: To either try to to get some line of success or because something was popular mm. and at the end they lost their original motivation their own their own reason to be invested and when we talk about things like failure
3: mm-hmm. failure means
2: nothing if you don't have something really at risk
3: mm-hmm. otherwise
2: it becomes just an exercise in futility sure. but to, for failure to be meaningful you have mm-hmm. to have something at risk mm-hmm. so if you if you follow what you wanted to follow, then mm-hmm. you really have something at risk. Then failure is meaningful.
1: Mm-hmm. And then your
2: practice gains authenticity. Those are the critical things to keep in mind.
1: Mm. Well then, so how do you know that you're doing a good job as a painter, as a writer, you know, as as a creative person? How do you measure that in your own career?
2: That's a very good question. <laughs> it's I mayv- a tough I mayv- one. I'm, I'm glad I'm not I'm, having so, to answer it. So, what what I do is mm-hmm. I have a constellation of people who I admire, mm. whose work I feel is, is the kind of work I want to be engaged with. Mm. And I constantly measure myself against them. Uh, and it doesn't really matter how short I come out of that in that measurement. Mm-hmm. The key point is that they, they are, it's like navigating with stars in the sky and using the stars to, to kind of, find your way
3: Mm -hmm.
2: I think that is very very the art world is very confusing everything seems so relative everybody has a different opinion Mm -hmm. so by having something that is fixed Mm -hmm. in my mind and quality that to me sets up a benchmark of something to aim towards um, I'm able to keep my mind sort of clear from all the confusion Hmm. and I think that that's what I use and I think that by itself is a tremendous help
1: Definitely, definitely. Well, I really appreciate you speaking with us. This has been really, really lovely.
2: Well, thank you. I enjoyed talking with you as well. Yeah,
1: thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Positive Space. If you're interested in being part of FATE's ongoing conversations on art foundations, visit the FATE website, foundationart.org. Don't forget the dash between the foundations and art. This episode's interview was conducted by Valerie Powell and was engineered and edited by Raymond Gaddy. Our theme music was provided by Lee Rosevere. Please join us next month for another visit to the positive space.
3: Thank you.